Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled Tibetan Buddhist Meditation, Three Paths to Freedom by Lama Kathy Wesley. As a follow-up to her talk on basics of meditation, Lama Kathy shares techniques of mindfulness and insight from all three paths of Tibetan Buddhism, tranquility, compassion, and transformation. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Tixum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning and thanks for being here. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to come and be with you today. Um, so um, this is a, a, a continuation of a talk uh, that I gave a couple of weeks ago about basic meditation. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to review just a little bit about what we talked about in that, in that uh, Dharma talk. And then I'll fill in uh, with some information uh, for today's talk, which is how to, um, how to practice meditation uh, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Because in many Buddhist traditions, there are multiple types of meditation that are practiced. And the Tibetan Buddhist tradition is no different. We have many different kinds of meditation that are taught in the Tibetan tradition. And so I wanted to give you a, um, what I might call a, a, a short tour, a, a little visitor's short tour of the, of the practices that we do in the Tibetan tradition. So that's, that's where, we'll, where we'll start today. Uh, so um, what I'll do is um, we'll start with a short prayer and then after the prayer, I'll give a summary of what I talked about last time, and then we'll get into today's discussion about meditation in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. So, sound good? Okay. Okay, so we'll start with the, um, the prayer of taking refuge that's uh, on your sheet here. And uh, that prayer begins with the words in the Buddha. And so we'll recite that two times in English, and then I'll, then I'll lead a chant of it in with the Tibetan transliteration, if that's, if you want to give that a, a try. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly, most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly, most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. Okay, so now the recitation in Tibetan. Sanje Chudan Zoji Chonahamla Jang Chu Pardu Dani Kyap Suji Daji Jin Soji Besunam Ki 
Okay, thanks very much. I'll start with a short prayer of my own, and then we'll begin. Oh, Paul Dens, how I lama rimboche, tagi chi war pedetinchula, kajanjimbo gonege sunte, kusun tugging a drup sal du so. Okay, thank you. Uh, so the topic today is um, as uh, meditation. Um, if you remember from uh, from our conversation a while back, um, we talked about the, um, the the distillation of the Buddha's eightfold noble path. We spoke about the four noble truths. You know, remember, suffering is part of life. Suffering has a cause. Suffering has a solution. And there's a path that leads to the end of suffering. These were the teachings, the basic teachings of the historic Buddha, Shakyamuni. And uh, so... Uh, if you wanted to summarize the Eightfold Noble Path into just four statements, the Buddha did this in one of his sutras. He said, do no harm, practice virtue, and tame your mind. This is the teaching of the Buddha. And so that last one is just a summary. So you get do no harm, practice virtue, tame your mind. That's really, these are the basic things. Don't hurt yourself, don't hurt others. Uh, benefit uh, others and take care of yourself and practice meditation as a way to examine and be with your mind and motivation moment to moment so that you can make better decisions about what you are doing, thinking, and saying. So that's a little bit about what's happening in the basic teachings of Buddhism. And that's what brought us to discuss the, um, the, the last of those statements, the second to last of those statements, which is tame your mind, tame your mind. And so uh, that's where the practice of meditation comes from. So last time we discussed the, um, the very first style of meditation that's taught in Tibetan Buddhism, which is a form of meditation called shamatha. Uh, in, it's called shamatha in Sanskrit, and in Tibetan it's called shi ne, but it means calm abiding, calm abiding. Sometimes it's translated into English as a tranquility meditation. So the first style is tranquility. And I gave a brief instruction where we talked about the postures of the body for meditation, how the, it's important for the, uh, for the, if you're sitting in a chair for your feet to be flat on the floor, and if you're sitting on your cushion, that it's good for your legs to be crossed and to uh, sit so that your back is straight and that your uh, hands are comfortably uh, uh, placed on your legs. Uh, the sutras described a method of placing the hands in, in this cupped position. It's called the gesture of equipoise with the left hand on the bottom, the right hand on the, on the top, and the thumbs uh, close to each other. But if you remember, my teacher, Kempo Karthar Rinpoche, said with all of his years of teaching Westerners, he said, it's very difficult for Westerners to do this, this gesture. He said, the reason is that very few of them can sit in the, what the, in yoga is called the lotus posture. Uh, but in uh, Tibetan Buddhism, it's called um, the uh, Vajra posture. Uh, 
So since it's uh, not easy for Westerners to sit in this pose, he said it's very difficult for them to use this hand gesture because he said the, when you have your um, legs crossed in the full lotus position with the left, uh, the left foot on the right thigh and the uh, right foot on the left thigh, he said that place where they cross each other in the center, that's where you can rest your hands. He says, so it's, it gives you really good balance and so forth and so on. And he said, however, he said, for most Westerners, he said, they can't do that. They can't sit that way. So he said, if you can't sit in that way, he said, it's best to use the pose that was taught by Marpa, the translator, who translated Buddhism from India to Tibet in the 1100s, the 1000s and 1100s, where he placed his hands palm downward on the legs as a way of allowing his his the upper upper body to be straight so that the breathing would be natural and open. And so, uh, and Kempo Kartha Rinpoche also taught in addition that if you like, you can use a Tibetan posture for your hands, uh, a Tibetan yoga posture of placing the thumb at the base of the ring finger and closing the hand in a light fist. It, he called it the lion's paws because they do, they look like the paws of a lion when you place them on your legs. And then he also spoke about how you place your attention on the breath because the breath is the object of meditation in this practice of shine. He said, you begin with one deep breath, then, then you breathe out and then you allow your breath to come and go naturally, following with your attention, the breath as it comes in and the breath as it goes out. And, uh, and so we did a little bit of that the last time I gave a talk and we'll do a little bit of it again today. The, 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 the method of the meditation, how, what makes the meditation work is noticing the breath as it comes in and noticing the breath as it goes out because what you'll find is that you get a brief experience of, of um, attention. Your attention will be briefly on the breath, but then your attention might drift into the past or your attention might drift into the future or your attention might drift into a cycle going round and round with what's happening right now. And the, the teaching is that when you notice the drift, you take... Um, uh, you take a moment to acknowledge the drift. You can even label it thinking and you can let go of it and then return your attention to the breath and think of it as a fresh start for your meditation. It's a fresh start. It's not a mistake. It's a fresh start. And by defining this in this way and being gentle in all of the actions, being gentle in the placement of your attention, being gentle in the observation of your attention, and being gentle in the return of your attention. In this way, you have the opportunity to practice two things, attention and gentleness. Because I've met so many people who are very harsh with themselves. Some people tell me, I am my harshest critic, or, uh, or I, am not, I don't treat myself well, and so forth and so on, and uh, judge myself harshly, they say. But if you can practice in your basic sitting practice, this gentleness of placing your attention, 
keeping your attention. And then when it drifts, returning your attention, then you're training in two things. You're training in cultivating attention and you're training in cultivating gentleness. So it's, it's, I think it's a win-win. So that's a little bit of what we talked about last time. This basic method is the method that is, is what makes meditation powerful and effective. I talk to you, I frequently talk about my friend Julie, the brain scientist, and Ju Dr. Dr. Julie, the brain scientist. Uh, I, I call her Dr. Julie because her last name is, is hyphenated and quite long. So, um, and so it's a little easier for me just to call her Dr. Julie. She comes up every year to give talks for COSI's Science Festival. And she talks about the brain and meditation and the research that she has done. I met her because I was her lab rat. I was her lab rat. I was her guinea pig. And she, uh, she, um, put, like, she put stuff around me and asked me to meditate. And, and we did some MRI, functional MRI testing of my brain. And it was, it was fascinating. Well, what Dr. Julie says is the, the moment of the meditation that is the most powerful for most people is that moment when you notice that you're not meditating anymore. You notice that you're not present with your breath. When you're not present with your breath, and then you notice, label, and return. She said, that's a power moment right there. That's where the power happens. Because she said, that's where your new neural pathways in your brain get made. So that is the, um, so that's kind of what meditation can do for us as individuals, is it can teach us how to pay attention, it can teach us how to return, and, and if we do it with gentleness, it can teach us how to return with gentleness. Okay, so that's, a, that's what we talked about the last time. And one of the benefits of this style of meditation, it allows us to notice our thoughts both when we are meditating and when we are not meditating. Because when we are meditating, we of course notice our thoughts. We notice them, we're working with them, we're letting them go. But what happens when we notice our thoughts when we're not meditating? Then when we notice our thoughts when we're not meditating, that can give us a moment's pause. We'll pause and say, wow, do you mean I'm thinking that? I think that a lot. And sometimes people, because I tell the story of my friend Michael, who when, uh, when he first got involved at KTC so many years ago, he said, I used to think I was a pretty nice guy. I thought I was a pretty compassionate guy. He said, then I started meditating and I realized how much I trash talk myself and other people in my head all the time. And he said, so I'm not as compassionate as I thought I was. And I said, don't worry. This is, this is news you can use, it's okay, because you're not gonna be that way forever. Because just as you can drop a thought in meditation, you can actually change a thought that you're having when you're not meditating. You can actually use a similar technique, calling a timeout on your, on your thought process, and then saying, now, in this timeout, I'm gonna return my attention to something worthwhile. <laughs> And so my teacher, Campbell Carthur Rinpoche, he called that gaining the power to embrace what is genuine in your life and how to abandon that which is not worthwhile. That was actually the name of one of his books. 
how to embrace what is genuine and how to abandon that which is not worthwhile. And, uh, and, and eventually it became the book Excellent at the Beginning that we have today. So this is where the transformation power of meditation enters into our everyday life, is noticing and being able to set something aside and then take on something new. And that brings us to today's talk, because today's talk begins with what do we do with all that mindfulness that we are developing? What do we do? How do we make better choices of what to, when we're asking for that time out on our trash talk, right? When we're asking ourselves, putting ourselves in time out for trash talking ourselves or others, what do we do next? What's the next step? And the next step, according to the teachings of Tibetan Buddhism, is to practice compassion. Practice compassion. I did, now, you notice I didn't say be compassionate because maybe we're not there yet. Maybe we're not fully compassionate yet. So maybe we need to train and practice a little bit in compassion on our meditation seat so that we can be more compassionate when we're not on our meditation seat. And so as my buddies in the 12-step tradition of recovery like to say, you have to fake it till you make it. And in this way, you can learn to how to act as if meditation is changing you. And it is, actually. Every time you, you bring your attention back, you're training yourself. It's working. Don't People come to me and say, I have a lot of thoughts and I have to bring myself back a lot. And I'm like, that's super because you noticed. The, the, the problem in meditation comes from not noticing that you have a lot of thoughts and not coming back. That's where the problem is. So if you notice it and then you come back, you're golden. Okay. So, so how, we, how we work with training the mind in compassion is through using our imagination. So the second practice of Tibetan meditation in Tibetan Buddhism is a compassion meditation that uses your imagination. As you are sitting in meditation, you're observing your breath. Well, what if you put an intention on that breath as it goes out and place an intention on the breath as it comes in? You could actually train in a new mental intention. Every breath, you could train in a new way of thinking. So what you would do in this practice, which is called sending and receiving, or tong len, on the out breath, you can, you can think, may all beings be happy. Pretty simple. May all beings be happy on the out breath. Or giving uh, happiness, like I give happiness. Or just wish for happiness for all beings on the out breath. And then on the in breath, you wish for beings to be free of suffering. That we wish for beings not to suffer on the in breath. And so this is a traditional uh, form of meditation that was taught in ancient Buddhist times, and it was brought to Tibet in somewhere around the 11th or 12th century by uh, the Indian master Atisha. The great Indian Buddhist master Atisha was uh, at his monastery in India when he had a vision 
of the Bodhisattva Tara, and she told him, there's a teaching on compassion you need to go get. So she said, you're going to have to go to Indonesia and study with um, uh, Dharma, Dharma Kirti, no, not Dharma Kirti. Oh, I keep getting their names mixed up because there's lots of Dharma Kirtis and there's lots of Dharma, uh, of, uh, Dharma Rakshida. And I, this, I can't remember whether it was the Dharma Kirti of, of Indonesia or the Dharma Rakshida of uh, Indonesia. Anyway, one of those two. And he, so he got in a boat and he went. And he spent 12 years there studying with the, the, the teacher who is known in Tibetan as Ser Ling Pa. Ser Ling Pa. Ser means gold and Ling is island. So the man from, and Pa is the person, so the man from the Golden Island. He lived at Borobudur in Indonesia. I think that's on Java. But anyway, the idea is that he went there and studied and practiced for 12 years, and then he came back to India and practiced and taught in India for several years and then was invited to go to Tibet. And that's how this compassion practice got into the Tibetan Buddhist tradition through the Indian master Atisha who brought it with him. And it, this, the practice sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Out breath, give happiness to beings, in breath, wish for the beings to be free from suffering. But you can, you can do it, you can go beyond wishing if you want to, because it's your imagination. With the out-breath, you can think, uh, not only do I wish for happiness for all beings, but you can think, I give my happiness to all beings. You can do that. And, and when you breathe in, you can think, I take on the suffering of all beings instead of just wishing for those beings to be free of suffering, we say, I take it, I'll take that for you. It's like a mother saying to their child, I'll take that suffering, I'll take that pain for you. And then immediately on the out-breath, giving happiness and goodness to beings, and on the in-breath, removing their suffering, so forth, and, and doing this for a period of time. Uh, and uh, a lot of people say that this is a very helpful method of meditation. Um, the, there are, um, there's a handout for today that I forgot to bring, but uh, it's the instruction on how to do Tonglen meditation. And uh, so what I'm going to do is, lucky for me, I have my cell phone, so I can read it to you. Because uh, my favorite uh, description of this is in Kempo Kartha Rinpoche's book, Dharma Paths. And for those of you who are interested in knowing what page it's on, it's on page 118. It's the only thing I know in the whole, whole book, so don't be impressed. Okay, uh, I'm going to read you his instructions. So what we're gonna do here is uh, take a few minutes to meditate together. And then after we do the meditation together, I'll explain uh, a little bit about uh, how you use this practice in everyday life. I had hoped to cover two styles of meditation today, but I don't think it's gonna happen. I'll have to study, I'll have to uh, teach the, the, the last style of the three styles next week. I think I'm teaching next week. So uh, what we'll do is we'll start uh, by uh, uh, sitting and uh, doing some meditation, sitting quietly for about a minute or two. And then I'll start reading the instruction 
on this form of meditation. I'll start reading the instruction from uh, Kemper Rinpoche's book. So first we start by placing our body in the posture of meditation. If you're sitting in a chair, feet flat on the floor. If you're sitting on a cushion, your legs crossed. Your hands palm downward on the legs, shoulders straight. You can um, tuck in the muscles of your backside to ground yourself on your cushion. Your chin can be tucked in slightly. That straightens the neck vertebrae. And the um, eyes can either be closed or cast downward a few feet ahead. You're gazing, not looking. And the, uh, and the, the tongue can be touched to the upper palate behind the front teeth. And uh, then you can take one deep breath, thinking that the breath drops below uh, your navel, and then imagine, uh, then breathe out, and then follow your breath as it comes and goes. We're not doing the imagination uh, exercise yet, so you're just being present with your breath as it comes and goes. So we'll do this for about a couple of minutes and, uh, and then we'll do the, I'll read the instruction on compassion meditation. So placing the body and then forming the mental attitude that I'm going to use, practice breath awareness for the next few minutes, uh, then we'll, we'll meditate together. Okay, now I'll, um, I'll read uh, Kempo Kartha Rinpoche's description of this sending and receiving meditation. He says, in addition to understanding 
Buddhism and compassion teachings, intellectually, it's important to have a practical experience. To that end, there's the meditation practice called sending and receiving to help you develop this enlightened attitude. When you do this short meditation, first sit in the meditation posture, sitting comfortably. Then breathe normally, following the natural course of your breath. Imagine that with the exhalation of your breath, whatever merit you have accumulated from beginningless time are accumulating now and will accumulate in all future time. This virtue radiates out toward all sentient beings. Just as when the sun shines, the rays of light radiate toward all places. So with your exhalations, these positive qualities radiate bringing happiness, well-being, comfort, health, and longevity to all beings without discrimination. So that's the first part, is breathing out and thinking on the out-breath that you give goodness and happiness. So we'll practice just the exhalation visualization for a minute or so. Next, he's, we're going to teach the um, a visualization for the inhalation. Then when you breathe in, imagine that you are breathing in the, um, uh, all of the suffering, confusion, sickness, turmoil, and conflict of sentient beings. All the suffering and difficulty of sentient beings merges with you, and this uproots the suffering and confusion of sentient beings. Because of the purity and strength of your bodhisattva attitude, the power of your sincere attitude of wanting to benefit beings, as soon as this, you receive this suffering and it merges with you, the suffering dissolves into nothing and disappears. It is just as if you had collected some dust together in a little pile and a strong wind came and blew it away. Breathing in and breathing out in this way meditate for a short time. So um, he says the meditation period for this Tong Len needs to be brief. So we'll do it for about a minute or two. Breathing out and imagine we give happiness to others, breathing in and removing suffering from others, seeing the suffering dissolve into nothing and disappear, and then breathing out goodness again. So we'll do that for about a minute or two.
continuing the description of the meditation, after having done this meditation for a short while, he said, let go of the mental focus and the visualization and let your mind rest in a state of awareness. Attempt to have the sense that there are no sentient beings to meditate upon. There is no person meditating. There is no act of meditation taking place. Try to transcend these three, which are relative, and give birth to something ultimate, something effortless and spontaneous, like the arising and disappearing of clouds in the sky. Just remain in a state of clarity. There is no act, no thought of doing something outside or inside, no you doing something. Just let go of all of that and remain in a state of awareness. So um, we'll sit and uh, do the uh, final section of the practice where we release the visualization and rest our mind. You can begin by uh, breathing out goodness to beings and then breathing in and removing suffering from beings. And then let go of the visualization and let your mind come to rest. So that's um, a short practice of, uh, of sending and receiving. So how do we use this in our everyday life? How can we take this imaginary exercise off of our seat and, and do it in our daily life? Well, it's very similar to how we worked with the quiet sitting meditation. When we were doing the quiet sitting meditation, when we got up from our seats and went about our day, we would, be, we would notice our thoughts. We would begin to notice our individual thoughts and we'd be, uh, be moved to work with them. So for example, if we're feeling something um, where we're happy, feeling a happy experience, like, oh, I'm so happy someone gave me a gift or I'm so happy someone has been very kind to me, or I'm just, just basically you're feeling good, you know, you're having a good day, you feel well. You can then imagine that you give away all of that goodness to all beings who are suffering right now in this world. You can think, may all beings have happiness like this. May all beings feel comfort and safety like this. And may all beings be free of suffering. So you can think of that when you feel happiness. And it will allow you to share that happiness with others. And it's, it's I guess you could say, it's a form of generosity in that way. It's like a spiritual generosity, imagining that you give this happiness to all beings. And, um, and then maybe, maybe you have a, like a moment where you're feeling uncomfortable, or maybe you have some pain, or maybe someone has been unkind to you, 
or you feel misfortune has happened. What we tend to do when painful things happen is that we tend to sort of grasp onto the pain of it. And, and, and I call it circling the drain. You know, it's kind of like you're going down the drain with this negative thought and feeling. But what if you chose to do something different when you felt the pain? The way, it, the way I see it, when we feel something difficult, whether it's emotional pain, physical pain, or whatever, the tendency of, of myself and others as a human being is to want to run away from that pain. We want to get away from it. So we run away, and where we usually run is to one of two extremes. One extreme is that we, um, we give off a fountain of badness. <laughs> we, we yell, or we get angry, or we hurt somebody else because we're feeling bad, right? We just sort of explode. But then the opposite can also happen. We could also feel that pain and want to kind of stuff it down into a hole and pretend it's not there. And so these two extremes are really painful themselves. And not only have we had the original pain, then the way we dealt with it was that we ran away. And when we ran away, we either fountained it off and tried to give it to somebody else or we, or we pushed it down, trying to pretend it's not happening. And in either way, we haven't dealt with the situation. We haven't, we haven't really even engaged the situation. We haven't engaged the pain. We've just run. But what if we stayed with it for a moment and gave ourselves a third choice? And in the compassion practice, in the manual that comes with this compassion practice, there's a teaching that's, that goes like this. There are three objects. There are three mental, three mental objects, three mental poisons, and three sources of happiness or virtue. Three objects, three poisons, three seeds of virtue. And what this means is that when you feel the pain, you can say, wait a minute, because, right, we're meditators, so we can take one step back from the pain. We can actually be outside of it for a second, because that's what we do as meditators. We let thoughts go. And as you get better at letting thoughts go, you can take that moment. You can take that one step back. Almost like you're stepping outside the story that you're telling yourself about the pain. You know, like, my life is good, or my life is unfair, or my life is bad, or something, or that person is bad, or whatever. We take a step outside the story, and we say, I feel hurt, or I feel angry, or I feel whatever you feel. Or I just feel bad. I don't even know why. I just feel bad. And then at that moment, when you've identified that negative experience, you then think... There are lots of other people in the world who are feeling this right now. You expand your, your thought to all of those beings who are suffering. And you say, on behalf of all of you, I take that. May my pain contain the pain of all beings. May my suffering contain the suffering of all beings. Almost like your suffering becomes a little vacuum cleaner and, you know, and sucks up all the negativity. And then you say, May I and all beings be free of this. Not just may I be free of this, but may all of us be free of this.
May I and all beings be free of this. And ultimately, may we become Buddhas. May we become Buddhas in the future, which is the complete freedom from this. And so this little formula, I tell people, write it down and read it to yourself every day. You know, my, may my suffering contain the suffering of all beings. And by my working through this moment of suffering, may I and all beings be free of it. And may we become Buddhas, which is the complete freedom from it. I've got some, I, I don't think I have enough, but I got some business cards in my office that have that printed on it. And I'll, I'll see if I can't put a few out for you. The, the idea is that if you recite this to yourself every day, once a day, that over six months, it might come up for you. If you it, after six months or so, maybe you'll get the ideas memorized. And then you can, it will start arising for you when you're in pain, or it'll start arising for you when you're angry, or it'll start arising for you when you need it. And then you can recite it. So in any case, um, that's a, that's a practice you can do when you're not sitting in a controlled environment. On the cushion, you're in a controlled environment. And when you're out in the world, it's an uncontrolled environment. Anything can happen. And you, if you can use this formula, you can make use of the mindfulness to actually shift and pivot from this, the tendency to run away. When you see yourself running, you stop. You go back to the, to the original feeling and then work through it in this step-by-step -step fashion. And uh, this is how, over time, the, the compassion meditation can, uh, I guess you could say, pay dividends for you down the line if you want to use a financial metaphor. So um, I think that's all I wanted to say about it. There's... There is, but this is not all. There's even one more form of meditation to talk to you about. And that's, and we'll talk about that the next time I give a talk. Uh, in the meantime, um, I have, uh, I put together a handout for today um, in which uh, it's called a complete session of, uh, of meditation. And it uh, describes uh, prayers that you can do at the beginning of your practice and at the, uh, at the end of your practice to dedicate the merit of your practice. And you can come up and get one at the end of the talk today. I'll have them here. Um, I just feel like being able to uh, share some of these is really, really useful and helpful. Uh, because this is uh, how my teacher taught me. He said, if you begin your session of meditation with some, these are all in English, you know, with some uh, motivation, stating your motivation, stating your purpose and your motivation, and then at the end, dedicating what you've done to benefit others so that it's not just about you sitting and calming yourself. It's about being part of something larger. So anyway, um, I think I talked a little too long, but we do have a few minutes if people have questions or things they're curious about. We got two microphones and you can um, step up and ask questions or share if you have a story about your own situation. Or we can just meditate.
Okay. Hello, McCarthy. Hey. So, in a few different places, I've read that the practice of meditation and the prayers and everything is supposed to help us go out of our normal thinking and selfishness, and to get us into out of that into mm -hmm. uh, being with others in selflessness. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, you know, I really appreciate you asking about this because when we when we go uh, when we go back and review the four noble truths of the Buddha, I mean the basics. I mean, right down the very first teaching he gave, he said all things come from causes, right? And so this, and he used this to describe how suffering is part of life. That suffering is something that happens to all of us. That there's no, there's no single person who can avoid suffering. Every, everybody, it's part of everyone's life. But he didn't just stop there. He said there, that suffering has a cause. And, of, and he said the cause of the suffering was not exclusively external, meaning it's not the, it's not the boss, it's not, you know, it's not the neighbor, it's not the boss, it's not, and it's not things that's outside of us, it's our own grasping and clinging. Some people use the word desire, and that's an okay word to use, but I prefer to use the word grasping or clinging because when we have something happen that we like, we cling to the goodness of it and want more of it. And if we experience something that's painful, we cling to the badness of it and we want to get away from it. And, and we could also be neutral, of course, but between these three things, things we like, things we dislike, and things we're neutral toward, that's, that's what we do all day long, round and round and round and round. And it all goes around the idea of me or I. I like this. I don't like that. I want this. I don't want that. And so forth. And so because we're sort of the center of this universe that we're in, you know, this, this universe we're in, we become really... Uh, fixated on ourselves. And a certain amount of that is necessary or we don't take care of ourselves. So we have to have a certain amount of self-fixation, but it's where it gets excessive that's the problem. Where we think that we are superior to other people, um, you know, and that this, that, or the other thing, when we begin to judge in this negative way. Or maybe we judge ourselves as being bad. That could happen, you know, right? So the practice of Tonglen allows us to take a moment with our feelings, see them at their root, and let go of them. And to return our attention to the practice of meditation instead of whatever the story is. And, um, and by being able to do this at first, when we're sitting on our meditation seat and just letting go of random thoughts, where that helps with selfishness is that when we get going on a thought, I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens to me sometimes. Once I get a story in my head about something that's going on, I can't let it go. I just hold on to it and then it just gets worse. And so I have to find a way to put it down, set it down. Don't, don't think about that right now. But I can't do it unless I get 
I, I have meditation practice, then I can set it down. Even just for a few minutes, that's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing. So slowly then we can get better at that, at letting things go and setting things down. And so we already get a little relief from the selfishness because we're no longer going around and around and around and around. We've, we've cut the continuity of that thought. And by cutting the continuity of that thought, we cut the suffering that goes with it. But we can actually go in the, in the, we can go further than that. We can go farther, further, whatever. We can go farther than that by saying, not only do I let this go, I want all beings to be free from this. And we can make that aspiration, may all beings be free from this and may all beings come to goodness and happiness, right? So, um, so in that way, you know, the, that we can, we, it also, begins to, it also begins to um, loosen. The shamatha practice loosens selfishness. And then the, um, it's, oh, it's like, a, it's like dish soap, right? First you put the dish soap on the dishes and it dispels the grease and then you can wipe the dishes clean, you know? So it's like that. It, it, like it loosens up our selfishness when we let go of thoughts in meditation. But when we add new thoughts, through this love and compassion meditation, then it allows us to really eradicate the sort of roots of self-clinging. Because my teacher said that shamatha is more pacifying. He says it pacifies mental afflictions, but it doesn't uproot them because the seeds of those mental afflictions are still there. We've just pacified them. So we need to uproot them. And the way we uproot them, he said, is by training in love because he said, when you train in love, then you pull out selfishness by the root, which I thought was a really clever analogy. So I don't know, does this help? Helps a lot, thank you very much. Okay, thanks, yeah. Um, other questions? There's time for one more, yes, yeah. Hi, Lama Kathy, thank you so much for oh. your teaching today. No. Um, yeah, no, thanks. So I have a question, it's maybe personal to me, but others might have had it. Like I've been, I met Dharma in a different tradition yeah. almost 19 years ago. And wow. I, and so I have some uh, intellectual knowledge of a lot of this, but I, I find myself discouraged that I'm not further along oh, in mm -hmm. my meditation sure. and in my pacification and yeah. uprooting of all my right. self-centeredness. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so how does one go about, I mean, for people like me who feel like a little bit of a, you know, uh, um, that, that student who doesn't just can't, doesn't mm -hmm. get, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing this because I think we've all, we've all been there actually. And some of us are still there, you know, like, you know, it, it, you know, but I, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we're all, we're all on the path. So since we're all on the path, we can help each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I really appreciate you asking about this because what I think happens is, um, and Kempo Carthur Rinpoche said this to me once, he said a lot of what can happen for people, he said, is that they get busy. Their life gets really busy. And I know this because I've had, I had a, I wish I could remember how many years the guy was away. I saw a, a gentleman, uh, this was maybe last year or something. He had not been to the KTC in 12 years, something like that, 12 years. And I, you know, of course I'm old now, so I, I knew him from then and I knew him now. And he's like, he said, I had to have my career. I had to have, I, I had my career, I had kids, you know, I got busy. 
And then he did the introduction to Buddhism class with two of his kids, or maybe three. I think he brought his kids with him, you know. So he, he needed to re-engage because he had spent so much time taking care of his family, he just did not have the time to practice meditation. And I think that, uh, that that's a problem that happens to people. And he said the other thing that can happen, number one, they can get busy, and number two, he said they can get to a point with their shamatha practice where he said it, it, it becomes a little flat, Mm -hmm. uh, becomes a little flat, a little stagnant was the word he used. A little flat, a little stagnant. And he said, and at that point, that's a really good opportunity to, to work with teachers. And so I think that that might be a, a thing that you could do is you could make contact and talk to one of the teachers here and then we can help uh, help with make some adjustments. Because I think the, the for many people, we can work with people on their shamatha practice to help uh, help freshen it. Mm -hmm. But the other thing he said was that the the he said when you feel like you have gotten at least a little bit how did he put it you've gotten minor relief from your major mental afflictions <laughs> you know mm -hmm. which is kind of us right we've gotten mm -hmm. some minor relief from our major mental afflictions. He said, that's when it's the time to move on mm. and to move in deeper into the practice. And, um, and later, not at that time, but later he said that doing this uh, mind training practice, funny, I have the book right here, um, uh, doing uh, something called the seven point mind training, he said is a very good next practice for people. And this, this is the old uh, copy of the book, The Great Path of Awakening. Um, Samuel, you have, uh, do you have the Lojong book in your hand there? Because he showed me his Lojong book. Yeah, there's a book called Lojong with this blue mm -hmm. cover by Trollek Rinpoche, and that's T-R-A-L-E-G. That's a, a really, that's a, 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 like a more accessible book. This mm -hmm. one was written in the 19th century, and it shows. Mm -hmm. But I got to tell you, it is so succinct that if, 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 a, if a teacher explains it to you, it will, be, it will be really completely clear. Okay. And so I've been teaching this book now for like 20 years and I love teaching this book. So uh, we, 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 had a, we had a little bit of a study group going on it last year and then it kind of petered out, but maybe we'll get another study group together, you know, mm -hmm. after the Tibetan New Year and do something. But this is a really good book to do because he said, once you start doing this kind of practice, he said, you're never going to get bored ever again in your life because you're going to be learning how to work with your patterns and how to engage them in a creative way. He said, and he said, when you take the bodhisattva vow, he said, now, he said, then, he said, boy, will you never be bored. You'll either be working on your own situation or you'll be trying to help others. Mm. So I kind of feel that that, that, where you, where you have been is bringing you to now, and that's actually good because now you're, you're feeling ready to move into more deeply into what the practice can tell you about mm -hmm. yourself, right? Yeah. So I think that's great, and we're here for you, you know. <laughs> but that's the, I think that's the main thing, and you can actually, if you, if you have taken the vow of refuge and, and mm -hmm. become, a, you know, become a follower of the Buddha, you can actually ask the Buddha for help. Mm. Uh, because he's still around. Enlightenment is enduring. It doesn't, you know, they don't go, you know, enlightened beings don't go out of existence when they die. They, they hang around and they, they'll show up for you. And so you can ask the Buddha to give you direction and so forth. But talk to us too and we'll help.
Thank you, Loma Kathy. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm, I'm just really, I'm pleased. Thank you for that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today about the second of the three kinds of meditation that is done in Tibetan Buddhism. We've talked about the quiet sitting. That's the first type. Today we talked about compassion meditation. And then next time we're going to talk about visualization meditation. So we're going to talk about that the next time. And I'm going to share one with you that I received from uh, from Kempo Kartha Rinpoche, and he received it from the previous Kala Rinpoche. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to do a guided meditation next time. So um, let's gather together all of our goodness and dedicate it. Um, we'll, um, because of time, we'll just do this in English, um, and then we'll sit quietly at, at the end to mentally dedicate all of our goodness. We think that we bring together all of the virtue and all of the goodness from all of us gathered here today for this, and we dedicate all of it to the freedom from suffering of all beings. There's so much suffering in the world right this minute. May this help beings no matter where they are. We'll start with the words, by this merit. By this merit, may all attain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death. From the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is, Samantabhadra, who also knows in the same way, and all the bodhisattvas that I may follow in their path, I completely dedicate all this virtue. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.